Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Howdy, hi there, friends and neighbors. This is your old pal El Monte Slim the Liberal sitting in for Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Get out of here, you booger-eating moron. Hello, Sixpackers, and welcome back to the Cantankerous Catholic, episode 27. This is July. Tomorrow is Independence Day, the most patriotic holiday of the year. I see a lot of patriotic things online about taking time to thank a veteran for his service especially war veterans. I deeply appreciate that this is being promoted because these brave men have preserved our freedom force for 243 years. But we're thanking the wrong ones when it comes to Independence Day. I'll explain what I mean when we return. What did Billy D. Williams, the celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell, and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross? everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy D. Williams, how Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course, how in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity, how the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews, and much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Veterans are responsible for preserving our freedom, and they've proven over and over that freedom isn't free. We're only 19 years into this century, and already 3,538 soldiers, airmen, sailors, and marines have given everything in service to this nation. May they rest in God's peace. We haven't had a declared war since 1941, and most of the fighting we've done has had nothing to do with good reasons for going to war. Most fighting has been our tyrannical, overreaching government's feckless efforts at nation-building. In other words, Congress and our past presidents have been far more interested in bullying other nations and cultures to force them into becoming smaller versions of America than defending our freedom and American way of life. That our government has driven us into one meaningless military conflict after another shouldn't be viewed as a derision of the brave men who lost their lives or came back home maimed. They did their duty. They answered our nation's call. In short, they were being Americans. I hated the Vietnam War. It was an evil war, and President Johnson was wrong to send our military there to fight it. But the point is, the commander-in-chief of the United States military did send our men to fight. Since patriotism is a virtue, every single able-bodied, fighting-aged man in America had the obligation to be ready to answer our nation's call and go over there to fight. But there were thousands of sissy boy snowflakes who burned their draft cards or ran off to Canada rather than be men and do what they were supposed to do. In my humble opinion, every one of them should have been hunted down and imprisoned for life. I have no respect for them and hold them in utter contempt. 
My mother was thrilled when Saigon fell the month before my high school graduation, effectively ending the war. She knew that the day after my graduation, I'd head straight to the recruiter's office to enlist. I hated that war, but I was ashamed that many of my generation thought more of their own well-being than the country that had done so much for them and their families, so I wanted to go fight in their places. My point is, wars have been fought by America off and on for two centuries, some good and some bad. And American men have always put on the uniform and fought with gallantry and distinction. But they're not the men we should be honoring tomorrow. The men we owe our thanks are men who drafted and signed the Declaration of Independence and the patriots who defended our newly declared independence when England tried to force us back under its imposed life of tyranny and servitude. Those are the real heroes of tomorrow's holiday. How should we honor those brave patriots? After all, none of them are around anymore. When I go out in public, I almost always wear my veteran's hat, and people come up to me all the time to thank me for my service. The brave patriots of 1776 aren't there for us to think that way, but I wish they were. But we can still thank and honor them by learning all we can about our nation's beginnings and history in general, by making the Declaration of Independence part of our individual psyches, and by passing on to our children and grandchildren stories of the great patriots who formed and pioneered this country. Sadly, the vast majority of Americans today have never even read the Declaration of Independence. If I were a betting man, I'd be willing to bet that less than 1% of modern Americans can honestly state that they've read that marvelous document. Because of that, Ronald Reagan was spot on when he told us we're just one generation away from losing our republic. I recall watching Jesse Waters in one of his Waters World segments two or three years ago celebrating Independence Day. He was on a college campus asking students simple questions every American should be able to answer. The students' answers were appalling. Most didn't know who we were declaring our independence from or what war was precipitated by our action, and some hadn't even heard of the Declaration of Independence. What are public schools teaching our kids? It's obvious they're only being indoctrinated for all the destructive, radical, liberal ideologies and taught that America is evil, or at least irrelevant. They're being taught the government is God and that everything relevant to them comes from the government. In other words, they're being turned into mindless slaves of the state. When I was a schoolboy, public schools were much different than they are today. These days, they're what I call government schools, but in my day, they were actual institutions of learning. In fact, based on what I've seen and read, I learned more things of importance in grade school than any college student learns in pursuit of a four-year degree. Sure, we learned what used to be called the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Kids learn that today because it's still being taught. Our teachers in those days, though, also taught us to love America, respect her flag, sing her anthem, and learn her history. We gathered outside on the playground on nice days and said the Pledge of Allegiance around the flagpole. On bad weather days, we'd say it in our classroom while facing the small flag mounted on the wall. I'll admit I had a little extra help at learning to be a patriot. My parents took vacations that helped shape my view of America. 
We could have flown to any destination and focused solely on having mindless fun in the sun, but that's not what Mom and Dad did. Mom and Dad would teach me the historical events that took place everywhere we went. I had the advantage of learning these things in the actual location where they happened, saw the same scenery the people I was learning about saw, and as a boy with an active imagination, I could relive that part of American history. Ah, but I digress. Let's get back to the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence has a lot of beautiful sentiments about unalienable rights and freedom and liberty. The second paragraph of this hallowed document says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, and when any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government laying its foundations on such principles, and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Isn't that beautiful? We're governed by a blueprint called the Constitution of the United States, but it was the Declaration of Independence that founded this greatest nation in the history of the world. It talks about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It rightly says those rights are unalienable, meaning they're natural rights granted by God and not by any government. What the framers of the Declaration wrote weren't just high-sounding words to these men either, and they should be recalled to us today with equal gravity. They ended by saying, "...and support of this Declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor." Wow, that's a commitment of the greatest principles of life. The thing I want most to accomplish in this first of a series of episodes celebrating America is to get you thinking more about the greatness of our nation than you ever have, to become a more fired-up patriot. So now that I've talked a bit about our foundation and the price we pay to stay true to our founding principles, I think the best way to proceed is by giving you a little basic history to consider. Some you may know, and some you won't. As I've said in previous episodes, my family's history of military service dates all the way back to the Revolutionary War. My great-grandmother was a direct descendant of General Hugh Mercer. He served under General Washington, was one of Washington's closest friends and confidants, and died heroically at the Battle of Princeton. Mercer's military service ranged over two continents and three armies. Born in Scotland, Mercer studied medicine at the University of Aberdeen and served as an assistant surgeon in Bonnie Prince Charlie's Army of 1745. After the Scots' uprising against the British met its devastating bloody end at Culloden on April 16, 1746, Mercer returned to Aberdeenshire where he spent a year in hiding before moving to Pennsylvania in March of 1747. In America, Mercer listed in the army of George III, who he'd sought to overthrow during the uprising in Scotland. 
1755, when General Edward Braddock's army was cut down by French and Indians during the first British attempt to take Fort Decuse, Mercer was shocked by the same butchery he remembered at Culloden. He came to the aid of the wounded and eventually took up arms in support of the army that a few years prior had hunted him, this time as a soldier, though, not a surgeon. By 1756, he was commissioned a captain in a Pennsylvania regiment and accompanied Lieutenant Colonel Armstrong's expedition on the raid of the Indian village at Catanning in September 1756. During the attack, Mercer was badly wounded and separated from his unit. He trekked 100 miles through the woods for 14 days, injured and with no supplies, until he found his way back to Fort Shirley, where he was recognized and promoted. He rose to the rank of colonel and commanded garrisons. It was during this period that Mercer developed a lifelong and warm friendship with another colonel, George Washington. From 1760 to 1775, Mercer worked as an apothecary and practiced medicine in Fredericksburg, Virginia. When the colonies took up arms against the British, he quickly returned to his rebellious roots. When first commissioned as a captain in the Continental Army, Mercer was charged with leading the independent company of the town of Fredericksburg. He was soon made a lieutenant colonel commanding a militia battalion. By December 1775, he was a full colonel and the first commander of the 3rd Virginia Regiment, with luminaries such as James Monroe and John Marshall under his command. General George Washington personally requested Mercer's promotion to Brigadier General in June of 1776. Six months later, Mercer led a brigade during the Battle of Princeton. Although famed medic Benjamin Rush tended to Mercer's seven bayonet wounds, he couldn't save his medical colleague and fellow patriot. Mercer died in the Thomas Clark House on the eastern end of the battlefield nine days after the battle ended in victory for the patriots. We live in an era of American history when people are so selfish and so materialistically spoiled that they live only for themselves. The decadence of modern American society would have saddened and angered men like General Mercer. One of the reasons my battle cry, perhaps the biggest reason, is comfort and conviction don't live on the same block, is because I hold an idea that's considered novel at best and insane at worst in modern society. I believe there's some things worth dying for. I'm fiercely loyal to the Catholic Church, my family, my friends, and my country. By fiercely loyal, I mean that I'm more than willing to die for them at the drop of a hat, no fears, no regrets. When most people say they're willing to die for such things, they really don't know whether they're willing or not. They haven't been tested by fire in order to find out. I have. What about you? Do you love anything in the world larger than yourself? Are you willing to say with the signers of the Declaration of Independence that you're willing to pledge your life? your fortune, and your sacred honor? Are you willing to fight for your God-given liberty so hard that you'd be willing to trek 100 miles through the woods for 14 days, injured and with no supplies, only to get right back into the heat of the battle the way General Mercer did? The greatest unalienable right God ever gave man is liberty, and the Constitution guarantees that our government will protect our liberty. Unfortunately, the federal government isn't meeting its obligations, so we're in danger of losing our liberty. 
So my question is, does your liberty mean enough to you that you're willing to die for it? I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to the Western Journal. California Assembly Concurrent Resolution 99 is the talk of the town in the Golden State, and it's really, really bad. According to the California Family Council, Assemblyman Evan Lowe and three dozen other lawmakers are working to push ACR 99 through the legislature, which aims to tell religious leaders what they can and cannot preach from their pulpits about LGBT individuals, even if it goes against their faith. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to the Western Journal. Senator Ben Sass torched Democrats and their extreme pro-abortion rhetoric in a powerful speech on the Senate floor. You can read the whole story and hear the speech by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 3 Hats off to the Western Journal. New Life Assembly Church in Lima, Ohio, was vandalized with several pro-LGBT and anti-Christian buzzwords and slogans. Some of the expressions spray-painted on the side of the building include God is a woman and she is gay, love is love, pride, God is dead, all people are equal, and be kind. Nothing says be kind like vandalizing the side of a church, right? You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 2 Hats off to Flag and Cross. Those darn radical Christians. 
always beheading members of other religions with whom they disagree, or walking into nightclubs and shooting everything that moves. When will this madness end? Thank goodness for people like the 2020 Democratic presidential candidate, Pete Buttigieg, who calls out these monsters on the national stage. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick pick number one. Hats off to LifeSite News. This may be the worst story you hear today. 18 people have been arrested in relation to a case in which children were brainwashed into believing they had been sexually abused by a parent and then sold to foster families. The paying clients, friends, or acquaintances of the child trafficking ring included sex shop owners, people whose own children had committed suicide, and people with mental illnesses. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A bleary-eyed man rubbed his head and mumbled, Oh, wow, what a headache. I was really drunk last night. Another person answered, Drunk? Do you get drunk? Yes, he said, and so does everyone else at times. I suppose you do too, occasionally. No, sir, replied the stranger. I don't ever get drunk, and among many reasons is this one. I don't have a lot of sense when I'm sober. I'd hate to lose what little I have by getting drunk. Drunkenness is against the fifth commandment because it not only hurts your health, but it also deprives you of your reason, which makes you act like an animal. Hey, six-packers, that's all for this episode. I've enjoyed having you with me. Don't forget to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. The links are in my show notes. Also, remember to visit joesixpackanswers.com to sign up for my free email course. Each short lesson arrives in your inbox every three days. We also have the Cantankerous Catholic Social Media Group you can join to discuss anything about Catholicism, our country, or anything else on your mind. I visit the page every day. The link's also in my show notes. There are lots of other neat things of interest in my show notes, too. You can find them at cantankerouscatholic.com. And remember to live by the Joe Sixpack battle cry. Comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It. 